0: Welcome, welcome to the Hard Skills podcast and show with me, Dr. Mira Bronku. I work with leaders in healthcare, research, STEM, and other technical fields who want to develop an authentic leadership identity and create a healthy, inclusive workplace environment to retain the best people doing the best work. In other words, developing the hard skills needed to make greater impact. Now, this season, we are exploring the first stage of my strategic leadership pathway model facing uncertainty. And today, We're talking with Dr. Jeffrey A. Green about the knowledge, skills, and dispositions the workforce needs to face an uncertain world. Now, here on the show, we value evidence based practical solutions. So I don't want you watching or listening to this show passively. I want you to reflect deeply. I want you to take notes like I do. I want you to identify at least one small step to further develop your hard skills muscle. Now, speaking of practical solutions, before I introduce Jeff, I want to remind folks about our new exciting initiative, the Tower Scope Leadership Academy, or TLA for short, which is the next step in our social impact vision. It's an affordable, accessible leadership development option for women leaders in healthcare, academia, and STEM. It is gender inclusive, but is women-centered. What does that mean? We welcome all But if you apply and you get accepted, you need to know that we are focusing on the lived experiences of women in leadership and how we can all be allies on that journey. If you don't have that experience, don't value it, that's okay. This isn't going to be the right opportunity for you then. Okay. So how are we starting this? We're starting by seeking 15 founding members to test out a nine-week mini version to learn, grow, give us feedback, help us grow it. We already have 12 people who have applied and are accepting folks who meet criteria as they come. So do not wait until the last minute. Friday, September 15th, 2023 is when we are closing these doors and we have limited opportunities for the interviews. So apply now. If you're watching us live um, or the video recording later, you may notice that I have a QR code right here. You can click on it. And go straight to our website to learn more, or you can go to www.gotowerscope.com. All right, my ad is over. My commercial for me, me, me is over. I'm going to introduce Jeffrey A. Green. Dr. Green is the McMichael Professor of Educational Psychology and the Learning Sciences in Learning Sciences and Psychological Studies program at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. That is a mouthful, Jeff. That's a mouthful. It is. His, um, His main area of scholarship involves how to help people become effective, efficient, and critical users and creators of information in technology contexts. He has published over 90 peer-reviewed articles, books, and book chapters on self-regulated learning, epistemic cognition, and online learning, among other topics. He's a fellow of Division 15 of the American Psychological Association. He was the recipient of the 2016 American Psychological Association's Division 15 Richard E. Snow Award for Early Contributions. Currently, he's co editor of The Educational Psychologist, a journal with Dr. Lisa Lindenbrink Garcia. And he holds a PhD in educational psychology, a master's in measurement, statistics, and evaluation, both from the University of Maryland, and a bachelor's of psychology from Carleton College in Northfield, Minnesota. Now, I know Jeff in a special way. He is also my spouse. Bomb drop! <laughs> <laughs> Jeff is an educational psychologist, but he also almost went to school for counseling psychology, and I told him he couldn't do that because that was way too close to what I wanted to study, clinical psychology. So thank goodness he found a different interest because I'm not sure where we would be right now if we would be in the same exact field. We might butt heads a little too much.
1: Can you tell me why you feel that way?
0: nice nice so um welcome Jeff nice to have you on the show
1: thanks so much for having me it's a it's a pleasure to be here
0: yeah so um obviously people are going to want to know what we talk about at home
1: (laughs) (laughs) that that sounds kind of personal
0: I know we're not going to get that personal okay um but they might wonder, what, what is the interaction between educational and clinical and organizational psychology? Because you know, we, we go walking around the block every single night for yep. 30 minutes, and we don't just talk about the kids. We right. sometimes talk about like big picture, interesting conversations around educational psychology, learning, leaders, clinical and organizational concepts. So um, let's start there. What do you think um, people would be interested to know about those overlaps and how we see
1: it? Sure. So, you know, when we walk around the neighborhood and talk, you know, we, we share about Our lives, right? And what's happening at work? And you are always very professional and very appropriate. You never use names. You never use identifying information. But some, sometimes you talk about, Oh, you know, there's this issue I'm working with, or there's a person I'm working with and they're having this kind of problem. And, and often, not all the time, but often to me, the challenges that leaders are facing in the modern world kind of sound like learning problems. They sound like ways of maybe teachers helping students to understand complex material or you know, adopt a more, shall we say, open-minded approach to learning or helping them feel more self-confident. All those things are, are foci of what I do in educational psychology. I believe that we all have a big enough brain to do the work that we want to do in our lives, but sometimes we don't know it. And sometimes we need people to help us understand that and become better learners. And that's what I study. And I think about learning very broadly. I think about organizations. So whether it's a school or a college campus or a place where people work, that to me is a learning organization. It's an organization that wants to get better at learning and wants its people to get better at learning. And so it just seems like when we talk, there's lots of opportunities for me to say, oh, that kind of reminds me of this theory or that finding. And then we have a really fun conversation. So hopefully we can recreate that today.
0: Yeah. You know, um, what's interesting is I think that you and I have different definitions of learning organization. Mm -hmm. So um, when you say learning organization and you think about learning within organizations, what do you think about?
1: So I think about creating a group of people that together can identify problems, find good solutions, work together collaboratively, uh, come up with new ideas, And those kinds of interactions and that kind of ecology, that kind of, kind of sphere of collaboration, it's, it doesn't come naturally all the time. Very often it has to be grown. It has to be nurtured. It has to be led. And so for me, Whether we're talking, again, about a school, we're talking about an online experience, we're talking about people working remotely, whatever it is, that's a learning organization. And we want the people in that organization to be great learners, and we want the organization as a whole to be a place where great learners want to learn and do the things that they do. So I I think about a learning organization as a certain set of kind of knowledge, skills, and dispositions for success, both of the people in the organization and for whatever work they're trying to do.
0: Okay, so maybe we don't have that different definition, but let me get gotcha. even <laughs> let me get even deeper into this. Okay, so um, can you give an example of um, when you see an organization that is like um, a learning organization? They're doing the right things, like you said. They're finding solutions, new ideas. Um, nurturing, growing versus one that isn't? What are, what do you see as the differences?
1: So let me, let me make sure I'm understanding. So there's certain qualities I think that a a good learning organization has and certain qualities that might not be so helpful. Is that what you're? Yeah.
0: -hmm.
1: yeah. So Mm -hmm. good learning organizations, there's a a theory called self-determination theory by Ryan and DC, and they talk about how people's interest, their motivation, their engagement, um, it's more complicated than just being kind of intrinsically motivated or extrinsically motivated, right? There's more to it than that. And if people are intrinsically motivated about something, they're intrinsically motivated to learn something, intrinsically motivated to go to work and do things. That's great. And, and we want to kind of leave that alone and let it kind of grow and nurture. But there are other kinds of extrinsic motivation that are perfectly fine, perfectly adaptable, perfectly uh, productive, either in a learning organization or a workplace. And the key to that, the key to the environment is environments that promote autonomy, competence, and relatedness. So you want people in your environment, your learning organization, to feel like they have autonomy. They have some level of choice. They They, you know, they're valued for what they can contribute. You want them to feel competent. you want them to feel like they have the information skills and materials they need to be successful and then you want a a a sense of relatedness and i don't mean you know kind of a real kind of lovey-dovey kind of relatedness but you know there's a cliche in education nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care and i think that's true in and learning organizations too, right? I mean, people want to feel like, okay, the people here really want me to be successful and value me. So learning organizations that are successful tend to promote autonomy, competence, and relatedness. And the ones that are less successful are, you know, more controlling, less supportive, uh, you know, they're less information and resource rich. So when I look at an organization just within the organization, those are some of the things that I look for first. Of course, we have to acknowledge that some organizations, because of where they sit social-culturally, don't have access to the resources or aren't given the kinds of things that they need to be successful from the outside. That's a whole different matter. But inside the organization, one of the first things I look at is, do people feel like they have a positive sense of autonomy, competence, and relatedness? And is that feeding positive kinds of motivation? That's um,
0: awesome. And I'm going to ask you to dig into each of these in a second, okay. but let me sort of share how I'm thinking about learning organizations and whether that connects to what you're saying, or it's a little bit different. So when I think about it, it I think about um, Amy Edmondson's work on psychological safety and learning organizations within um, large complex systems. Usually she she's um, written a lot about um, um, highly fast-paced environments like healthcare, ER, you know, Mm -hmm. firefighting, that kind of thing. Um, Mm -hmm. and her book teaming. Mm -hmm. And in that book, she, um, sort of contrasts learning organizations where organizations are set up to learn versus learn, um, organizations that are set up to execute. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the ones that are set up to execute are often a, um, command and control. Um, they're individualistic in that, um, Each person works in a silo. You don't work on a team. It's not team-based. You don't necessarily care about or lean into um, feedback giving and taking, helping relationships um, and um, learning and iterating. Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
0: Um, It's more like um, sort of uh, producing um, some known outcome, and that means it minimizes innovation um, and... Um, it minimizes the opportunity to continuously improve um, processes because you have a set process in mind. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm connecting that a little bit to, um, you know, the relatedness piece, maybe, right? Like the sort of helping relationships, supporting each other, Mm -hmm. um, seeing it as, you know, maybe some shared decision-making processes, things like that. Um, Maybe um, developing autonomy and competence in that over time if you support people in the right way, they will um, sort of have new ways, um, new ideas that they can offer. And if you're sort of a psychologically safe environment, you're able to take in those new ideas and iterate and innovate. Is that how you're thinking about it too?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is one of those times where if we were walking around the neighborhood, I'd say, yeah, there's a a clear connection here, right? And there's there's, uh, a lot of overlap. The analogy I would make is I think, you know, some people think education is what we call drill and kill, right? Like mm-hmm. make sure students have all the knowledge, make, you know, feed it into their brain and then get them to the sp- correct and move on. That's not education, right? That's kind of the production line model, which is kind of what I heard and what you were describing. Yep. We want students to be inquirers. We want them to be thinkers. We want them to be, as I said, identifying cool problems that haven't been solved yet and have the knowledge, skills, and dispositions to take those on. Do they need knowledge? I mean, absolutely, right? You can't become an expert. You can't be good at something without knowing things. And we don't want students to discover everything that we've already learned. But we want, we want to give them a good set of knowledge, but then also give them a great set of skills and dispositions to be the kind of innovators that are in the kind of learning organization that you described. So I, I think there's a lot of connections there. And the ways in which we help students or people in the workplace do that, I think I think there's a lot of connections.
0: Awesome. Okay. We are going to dig into this, but we are nearing an ad break. So um, everybody stay tuned. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branku, and our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Green. The Hard Skills airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern time. You'll find us on LinkedIn or YouTube at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be back with our guest in just a moment. Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mary Bancroft, host of The Hard Skills on TalkRadio.nyc at 1pm Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to The Hard Skills on Fridays at 1pm Eastern on TalkRadio.nyc.
4: What really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape driving companies from startups to establish businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today.
5: Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
0: Welcome, welcome back to the hard skills. I'm here with Dr. Jeffrey Green from UNC. He's an educational psychologist and professor at UNC. And um, if you bear with me, I'm going to share my screen so that you can see his page. If you go to um, ed.unc.edu backslash people backslash Jeffrey dash a. Dash green.
2: <laughs> That's so
1: intuitive.
0: Yeah. <laughs> you can see his page there if you're interested in some of the programs that he oversees and his research um, and everything about him um, and read more about his work. Okay. All right. So let's get back to where we left off, which is that we um, agreed that we sort of see learning organizations in the same way. We might have different words um, for what we apply um, some of these to. And um, you were talking about self-determination theory and how it includes um, autonomy, competence, and relatedness that when you see an organization that is running as a learning organization, you see people with autonomy supported Um, You see relatedness and you see competence, Um, but you also started mentioning um, that there are some skills and dispositions that um, are necessary to be able to have this sort of effective learning organization. Can you share more about like what what those look like? What do we want to sort of see and engender in employees and within leaders?
1: Sure. So in terms of skills, I mean, I study self-regulation, so of course, I think it's really, really important. But I I do think it's pretty darn important. So when people are able to be thoughtful about what they're doing, when people are able to recognize when what they typically do isn't working for them and they need to make a change, when they have the tools to make that change, when they're able to kind of slow themselves down and reflect and refine their work, those are people that are self-regulating effectively. And those people tend to be more successful in complex and uncertain tasks and situations. So, you know, all of us have autopilot. Autopilot's a good thing, right? I don't want to think deeply every morning about what I'm going to wear to work. I don't want to think deeply about how to drive. I want to kind of be on autopilot. That's a good thing. But in a learning organization, we need people that recognize when autopilot's not working. That's self-regulation. Now, recognizing that just isn't enough, though. You need to have the skills to diagnose what's wrong, make a plan, try some new strategies, uh, monitor how well those strategies are helping you get back on track. And then when it's all done, reflect so that next time you encounter the same situation, you remember, oh, I got to shut off autopilot and I have to do these other things. So Self-regulation really is a set of skills about being thoughtful, about being active and allowing yourself the opportunity to pivot when you need to, when autopilot isn't working.
0: I love um, this because I have totally different words for the same things. <laughs> okay,
1: <good. laughs>
2: Great. Okay. So That's in, like-
0: our, in our world, uh, in the world of organizational development, mm-hmm. um, we would say self-regulation involves self-awareness and self- and reflection. Um, there are um, tons of leadership development programs and team development programs that do just this, help leaders slow down,
2: mm-hmm.
0: take stock, evaluate, mm-hmm. understand themselves better, understand what they bring to the table, understand how it affects other people, understand mm-hmm. other people and dynamics.
6: Mm-hmm. and
0: um, and then, you know, also reflect, which what we've learned is that out of all of the things that leaders do, reflecting, Um, on their process and iterating and improving is one of the most important things. And yet right now it's harder than, you know, more, more hard than ever before to slow down and reflect. And that's for everybody. Like that's not just for leaders. That's like for all of us, right. With all of our technology. And, um, and then the, um, the skills require like to diagnose, plan um, you know, try things out and reflect that's an iterative process we call it continuous improvement right um especially in the world of healthcare and um and even in like lean um you know six sigma stuff like that um and that is also more important than ever before um because you can't um you you can't adjust um you know and iterate if you have, let's say, like a five-year plan that you have decided you're not going to steer, you know, off course, right. that maybe right. that was like realistic, like 10 years ago to have your five-year strategic plan. Um, but these days, things things change a lot. And um, mm. one of the things that you um, mentioned um, recently to me is the infodemic world. <laughs> um, tell us more about like how this relates to the infodemic world world, the complexity that we're facing now.
1: Yeah. So I, I love that connection. And I really like what you said about leaders and you know the need to slow down because it can be really hard to slow down, right? It can be really hard when there's so much happening and you have so much work to do, whether you're a student or you're a leader or you're someone in an organization. For someone to go, you know what? You need to stop doing all that work and spend a lot of time reflecting and refining. It's going to be like that. You're just watching the world. What? Uh, yeah,
6: exactly. <laughs> right.
1: Uh, yeah. So But unfortunately, that's our world now. Our world is such that there's so much information that it has led to what the World Health Organization's Director General calls an infodemic. So that word first came about uh, during COVID-19 as all Mm -hmm. the misinformation and disinformation came out. um, It was like a pandemic of bad information. And so it was an infodemic.
0: Love it. Yeah.
1: And, you know, the really challenging thing about today's world, among other things, is that information used to be kind of like hard to generate and hard to distribute, right? Like you had to, if you wanted to get your message out to people, you had to be a journalist or a, you know, a TV reporter or something. Write a letter. Yeah. Write a letter to the editor. Right. Yeah, exactly. Post things around town on telephone poles. (laughs) So, you know, it, it was, and therefore it was relatively easy for people to kind of know what sources were useful and which ones were not right. Like, I don't know, like, do you remember like in the grocery store, like you'd be standing in line. Remember when we went to the grocery store before we had people bring our groceries to us, (laughs) but like you'd stand in line and there would, I remember like I was a little kid with my mom and there was the daily world news. Oh yeah. bat boy like they really liked bat boy do you remember bat boy it was like this five year old kid with like a bald head and little pointy ears and like sharp teeth and it's always like you know bat boy found in manhattan or something like that and yes. i remember like asking my mom like what is bat boy and she was like don't pay attention to that that like that's not a good thing you know pay attention to the washington post like here's a good newspaper here's a bad newspaper right that was easy to figure out and you know it was easy to find people to help you with that now AI has made it super easy to generate bad information. I mean, AI will spit out bad information all day for you and social media makes it really easy to distribute that bad information. So the infodemic is a result of the technology tools that we have created. And it has meant that it's just a lot harder to figure out what do I pay attention to? What do I ignore? How do I control this flow of information coming into me so that I get signal and not noise. That's the infodemic, it's complex, it's uncertain, it's challenging, it's stressful at times, and that's something that we're trying to teach people to learn how to manage.
0: Um 100,000%. Uh, um the leaders that I work with, it's one of their number one requests, especially the executive leaders that I work with. There's a lot of challenges at other levels of leadership, but at the executive level, this is the thing that comes up the most, um, especially within the healthcare, academic, and research worlds that I work with, um, is I want to be more strategic. I got into leadership in order to be more strategic, mm-hmm. and I am finding myself just constantly putting out fires nonstop, mm-hmm. and, um, and they say that about themselves as individuals, And at that level, at the the executive leadership team of hospitals, it's usually a leadership team that feels like that, Mm -hmm. Um, that they feel like they can't um, be strategic, you know, even though like it's not realistic anymore to have like a, you know, five to 10 year strategic um, plan, they do want to be strategic in -hmm. their goal setting, in their priority setting. And it's really hard when every single thing is pulling at their attention.
2: Mm -hmm. Mm
0: Um, what is, um, what is sort of like your beginning thoughts about how to slow ourselves down in order to be more strategic to allow the room um, and space for strategy to
1: happen? It's hard. I mean, you know, I, I, I'm not going to pretend. Tell that. me
0: the answers, Jeff.
1: <laughs> right? Okay, it's Don't easy. you have
0: all just, the answers?
1: <laughs> yeah, just shut off social media. That's the answer. Uh, <laughs> No, it, it is difficult. I do think that part of it is something I'll call curation. I mean, part of it is like a librarian curates a library, right? Librarians decide what books to put in their library and they decide what books to loan out. And I think people have to be the same way. You've really got to be careful about what what am I going to let into my mind? What books am I going to put in my mental library? And then what am I going to share? right? What books am I going to share to others? I think we have to be careful about that. I think it's, and there's lots of research to show that people sometimes are not very thoughtful about what they share with others, particularly in online and social media. And so that adds to this glut of information, this infodemic that can really make it hard for people to feel like they have time to slow down. So part of the answer is curate your information feeds, Mm. because you might have more time than you think but you're getting just too much kind of low value information. I think there are other pieces that we can talk about that involve uh, careful thought and certain dispositions towards thinking critically and certain things that we call intellectual virtues, which is just a, a fancy term for uh, you know productive thinking habits and dispositions that can help. But I think the first thing is really recognizing that there's too much out there to see, hear, know understand and making good decisions about what things you let into your life what books are you allowing into your library
0: that I I love that um analogy and um connects a lot to boundary setting you know a, a lot of mm-hmm. um leaders are are asking for support around like how do I set boundaries around my time when everybody wants and is clamoring for my time you know um and boundaries around what I'm willing to put my energy and focus into and this curation is exactly right. Um, you mentioned dispositions and intellectual virtues. This sounds very meaty. So let's pursue that after the ad break. You're listening to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mira Branco, and our guest, Dr. Jeffrey Green. The Hard Skills airs live every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. You can find us on LinkedIn or YouTube at talkradio.nyc. And we'll be back with our guest in just a moment. Welcome, welcome back to The Hard Skills with me, Dr. Branco and my guest, Dr. Jeff Green. Um, if you're watching this live or recorded, you may have seen some weird facial expressions during this ad break. And two things were happening at the same time. Number one, um, Jeff, who is lovely and watches my back, said, you know, in your intro, you said that for the signups, For the Tower Scope Leadership Academy, it ends on September 15th. I don't think it ends on September 15th. That already happened in the past. And so thank you. That was wrong. Um, It was that we opened up applications on the 15th. But um, applications are open until this Friday, the 22nd of September. So Friday, the 22nd. Thank you very much for catching me. And. Also, his internet went out. I lost him. I thought, oh, my God, I don't have a guest anymore. And he came (laughs) back on, and he's here. So, two things averted in this complex, chaotic world of ours. (laughs) We're here. We're talking about leading through uncertainty. Um, Okay, so where we left off is we had already talked about – some skills necessary to um, create a learning organization navigating through uncertainty. And some of those were self-awareness and reflection and these plan, do, study, act, reflect cycles. Um, but you started talking about now dispositions mm-hmm. and intellectual virtues, which sounds, um Mm, really intellectual. (laughs) Can you say more about um, what are these intellectual virtues? Why are they dispositions? Why do we need them?
2: Sure.
1: Yeah, it sounds fancy because I I think the term originated in philosophy, at least that's where I've seen it. So Mm -hmm. intellectual virtues are, are simply good ways of thinking. So productive, helpful, useful ways of thinking. So growth mindset is one of them. And there's been a lot of talk about growth mindset recently, and there's been some controversy about it. And without getting too deep into it, here's what I'll say. The idea of a growth mindset is that people believe that they are capable of improving their performance, their intelligence, and their ability to succeed. And people that have a growth mindset believe that. People that have what's called a fixed mindset think they have a fixed amount of capacity or intelligence, and that can't change regardless of the debates, it's a good thing to have a growth mindset. It's good to think that you haven't hit your ceiling, that you're capable of more, and that if you work hard, good things can happen. So that's an intellectual virtue. And we want people to have that. And if people don't have it, we don't blame them. We don't say there's something wrong with them. My guess is that someone or something in the world told them that they have a limit or they have a ceiling so we don't blame people if they have a fixed mindset we try to help them change that mindset to a growth one that's intellectual virtue another virtue is just curiosity right so Ted Lasso it's better to be curious than judgmental I I think that's not quite his quote but that's where I remember it from but that that's really important and the people who are genuinely curious about things tend to explore them deeper tend to have more success with complex and uncertain problems Uh, there's something called need for cognition, which is people that like to think. And so people that are willing to engage in deep thought, that's a virtue. And then humility. So humility is not often a word associated with intellect or, you know, work, but it's an important one. So I was talking earlier about the infodemic. And it's easy for people to get jaded. It's easy for people to feel like, you know what, there's so much noise out there, I'm just going to do my own research. But most of the things that we encounter in the world are pretty complex and plenty unser- pretty uncertain. And we have to be humble enough to know when we don't know enough to do our own research. And then we have to be able, like I said earlier, to find those reliable sources, find those books in our library that we trust, and go to them. So, growth mindset, curiosity, need for cognition, humility, those are all virtues. And people that tend to think that way tend to do better.
0: What I find fascinating about what you said is that um, we get a lot of messages still to this day that in order to be a competent leader, an effective leader, um, that you need to have all the answers, be very confident in your answers, um, know the answer, Mm -hmm. um, and um, demonstrate this sort of like, bravado yes. this um, overconfidence assertiveness um, I- excessive decisiveness
5: mm-hmm.
0: and what that means from my perspective as someone who cares about um, having um, available role models that demonstrate different leadership mm-hmm. competencies and capacities and don't perpetuate bad messages about what good leaders are like mm-hmm. um, the things that you describe, Often are underrated, yeah. right? Um, when when people look at leadership, and when you have those capacities, when you like to continuously grow and develop, and you're always questioning and wondering, and you're asking, and you're tentative in your um, curiosity because you you don't want to necessarily um, just like m- make a leap that you know might affect other people. Um, when you're humble, mm-hmm. um, it's judged as a lack of confidence, yeah. when in fact, it's just being wise and right. thoughtful. Right. right. I, I just sort of, I'm curious to see what you think about that.
1: Yeah. So bravado is a great word, right? Because like what you're describing, these stereotypes, I, I just think they're stereotypically like bad masculinity stereotypes, right? Like I Thank have you, you said there. it, I didn't. Yeah, I'll say <laughs> it, that's fine. Uh I've, I've learned. We walk we around
0: and
5: I, I pick agree. up a couple things
1: when we talk. So, uh, you know, it's silly to think that you need to have all the answers. You can never be wrong. You always have to be confident. That kind of uh, perspective upon the world is a very closed perspective. And you're not going to learn a lot that way. More importantly, though, leaders that act that way, and I'm going to include teachers in this because teachers to me are leaders. Teachers that do that also send some really kind of damaging or let's just call them not so great mm. messages to students, right? You have to be always right. It's mm. bad to be wrong. You should be ashamed when you make a mistake. Oh, Those yeah. are the exact opposite of a growth mindset, right? That's telling students you should feel ashamed when you are you know, wrong or make a mistake and you must be limited in your capacity. So in fact, teachers and leaders that are able to say, oh, you know what? You have a good point. Let me rethink that. That's really great modeling. that That's the kind of thinking that we want in a learning organization. Teachers and leaders that recognize when they make a mistake and publicly say, you know what? I made a mistake there. I'm going to try to fix it. Here we go. Here's how I'm going to do it. When they model good responses to mistakes, they normalize mistakes. They help the people in their organization, whether they're people who are working or students, to understand that, okay, mistakes are a normal part of life. Now, we don't want people to be you know, always making mistakes, and we don't want people to always be always allow others to question them ceaselessly. I mean, you do need to be kind of confident in what you know and willing to engage in that um, argument and then try to assert your points. But we don't want people to feel like they have to always be confident, assured, always be right. That's a bad message for the leader. It's a bad message for the people with the leader. And there's a lot of good that can happen when they role model more productive curiosity need for cognition and humility
0: so yeah what um what are the benefits like if in a learning organization um any or that means any organization that uses these um ideas to develop grow continuously improve have um highly effective productive workforce Mm -hmm. um in those situations what could come of a leader who sends those messages, who embodies those messages, who um, says, it's okay to make mistakes, and it's okay to um, learn and develop and grow. And I'm especially thinking, again, with this theme in mind of leading through uncertainty, in uncertain times, Mm -hmm. why is this so important? What are the benefits here? What comes out of this?
1: Yeah, great question. I mean, I think you said it, right? Like it helps people deal with uncertainty and complexity. Uncertain and complex times demand people who are capable of kind of persisting through not knowing what to do, not being sure of how to proceed, uh, questioning their own ideas, right? That idea of self-regulation was about when you have an when you're on autopilot and you recognize this isn't working, I need something differently. Well, it will feel really threatening to someone to self-regulate. If they feel like if I do anything wrong, I'm going to be in trouble and people are going to think I'm no good or I'm stupid or whatever the case may be. You want people to have the sense of autonomy, relatedness, and competence to have a growth mindset, to try their best and know that I'm going to self-regulate. I'm going to try something different to handle this problem I've never seen before. If I make a mistake, as long as I was doing my very best and trying to get to a good solution, this organization will support me. And this organization will help me try to be successful. That's the kind of people I want in my organization. And that's the kind of message I would want to uh, send as a leader. And when you don't send those messages, you end up with a very rigid, a very frightened, and probably a a far less adept organization that can't tolerate complexity or uncertainty. And that lack of tolerance, um, that leads to a fixed mindset. And that leads to an organization that isn't able to adapt to a changing world.
0: Yeah. And um, you just described what it feels like to be in an environment where they value psychological safety and one where they don't.
5: Yep. Yep. Yep.
0: Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so, with that in mind, another ad break coming up. You're listening to the Hard Skills with me, Dr. Mayor Branku, and my guest, Dr. Jeff Green. Hard Skills airs every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll be back with our guest in just a moment. What
4: really drives success in business? Introducing Intangify, the show that explores the intangible assets that create value and growth. I'm Matthew Asbell, your host and an attorney focused on innovation. Join me Fridays at noon Eastern to discover how innovation, culture, and other intangibles shape thriving companies from startups to established businesses. We'll share strategies to unleash your business's true potential. Tune in live on talkradio.nyc Fridays at noon Eastern and Intangify your business today.
0: Welcome back to The Heart Skills with me, Dr. Mira Brancu, and my guest, Dr. Jeff Green, who also happens to be my spouse. And he knows that if I was listening to this same background music at home, I'd be dancing around in the kitchen.
1: I was about to say, <laughs> this music is so you. It's like 100% you.
0: It's hard to like just sit here calmly in this chair when I listen to this music.
1: Yeah, I can tell. Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, also... If you noticed, if you're watching live or the recording, uh, Jeff and I were uh, just joking around in the background because he was wondering if people could see us during the ad breaks. And um, I said, yes, they can. So he's like, should we do that thing like on talk shows where we, you know, the hosts and guests whisper to each other? <laughs> I'm, it's a shame we're not next to each other. We can't. All right.
1: What do you want for dinner? <laughs>
0: All right. So um, stop being silly. We're focused here. Um, nice. we, we just, um, we talked a lot about um, skill sets like self-awareness, reflection, uh, plan, do, study, act, reflect stuff, um, dispositions around intellectual um, virtues. And that got us thinking about like how these virtues connect with leadership um, identity. Mm -hmm. and um, how leaders show up and the effect that it has on a workforce depending on how you show up, right? And what I find most intriguing about all of this is that if you show up in this sort of like um, bravado way where you insist on assuming that you have all of the answers, um, assuming that um, there's no other path or other way Your ideas are better than other people's. Um, This sort of overconfidence, um, squashing of ideas. Um, It's going to do a couple of things. One is it's going to silence um, the ideas and experiences of other people in the organization that could actually improve your outcomes and your results. Um, It's going to, number two, send this message to the employees, or if you're in a school, to the students, that mm-hmm. um, having a, a new ideas or new ways of thinking um, is not acceptable. Making mistakes is not acceptable. There's no psychological safety in that kind of situation, but it also um, keeps innovation and growth from happening, which mm-hmm. ultimately is to your detriment as well as the detriment of the people who are being influenced by you, right? Uh Smaller legacy there, by the way, too, in my opinion, in terms of future. So um, from all of that, moving forward, what is um, maybe um, one key thing that you would like people to take away from um, all of this? Because this is a lot of really good information, but people might be sort of like, where do I even start, you know, with um, sort of developing the kind of organization that matches this um ideal learning organization. You know, maybe I've been I'm a leader that's been, you know, um trying, but but I'm sort of faltering or I'm not sure exactly where to start. What do you, what would you suggest?
1: They should probably enroll in the Towerscope Leadership Academy. <laughs> <laughs>
0: you're uh, you're like the my number one associate, Jeff. I say like that all said. the time.
1: Good. Uh <laughs> uh I, number I do one think- Yeah, so, uh, well, I do think that. But also, I would say that people should have faith in themselves. So people that are rigid like that, people that feel the need to be confident all the time, to never show any vulnerability, people that are afraid of making a mistake or having people see them as somehow fallible, those people have a lot of work to do. Those people are hurting themselves. Those people likely have a fixed mindset. Those people likely don't have a lot of intellectual virtues. And those people are holding back themselves from the success that they could be having. So I would really encourage people to embrace being human. You know, I think there was a period of time where we thought that, you know, good thinkers aren't emotional and they're always in control and they're rational. Um, The opposite is true, right? Mm -hmm. You you know this. Um, Mm -hmm. We can't think without feeling. And people that don't know how to understand themselves and their effect upon others are going to have probably negative effects upon themselves and others. And so I would just really encourage them to open up, to uh, take a chance, to show some vulnerability, and to ask questions and be curious. Because I think... If you are a leader, my guess is that you have some skill, you have some knowledge, you have some capacity, but you're probably limiting yourself if you're adopting this kind of stereotypical masculine, very closed approach.
0: Ouch. Oof. That is a powerful message.
1: Did I I get too real? Was it too real? Oh,
0: no. It's, you know, it's about um, vulnerability, Mm -hmm. asking for help or input. Mm -hmm. That takes a lot of courage Mm
5: -hmm.
0: and a lot of Mm -hmm. self-awareness. And what I take from it is um, maybe one easy way to start is just to say, tell me more. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: It's just to hold back your reactions Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and just say, tell me more. And then close your mouth <laughs> and mm-hmm. listen, yeah. um, you know, and, and also there's, there's a piece I heard about empathy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, recognizing, um, you know, um, that your perspective may not be matched by other people's perspectives. It's, mm-hmm. it's a perspective. It's, it's valid, it's valuable, but mm-hmm. so are other people's and they might not see things the way that you see. Mm-hmm. And it's really valuable data to um, ask and take in more information right? Um, than what you have. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, all of us have uh, blind spots. All of us have things that we don't know. All of us have ways of behaving that maybe aren't so helpful in the moment or in a particular context. And I want people around me to help me, right? I want them to tell me when that's happening so that they can help me be better. So I don't know why I would create an environment where people were afraid to tell me that.
0: Yeah. Why would you, right? Who would want to do that and why would you? But sometimes it does come out of fear, you know, and discomfort.
1: I think it is. Yeah. I think a lot of it's fear. I mean, you know, our society, unfortunately still sends a lot of messages about, you know, being smart is good. Being smart means that you're quick. You're never wrong. You don't have to think too long. If you have to put any effort in, then there's something wrong with you. Those are all exactly the wrong messages. Exactly the wrong messages for, particularly for a learning organization that's facing complexity and uncertainty. You're going to have to make mistakes. You're going to, have to be okay with that. You're going to, have to learn how to learn to benefit from mistakes. You're going to have to get stuck in the mud for a while and get people around you that can help you think through it. Those are all the things that are necessary to deal with an infodemic, to deal with the modern world. And unfortunately, our society still has these kind of cliche, stereotypical, unhelpful ideas about what it means to be a success. And for men, what it means to be a successful man. And they're just not helpful. They're not useful. And we need to do everything we can to change that message.
0: Yeah, yeah. Also, am I hearing that you are proposing that maybe we learn a few more tips from introverts?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Introverts are great. I like it. You know, I I don't know if you know this. I'm married to an introvert. Uh, So uh, I like introverts a lot.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm I'm a pretend extrovert. Uh, when I have to, you know, okay, where can people um learn more about your work? Um, I already mentioned one page. Um, where's what, how, what's the best way to follow your work?
1: So, there are some social media sites that I am on. You can look for me on there if you just Google Jeff Green, University of North Carolina, you'll find them. Whether it's Mastodon, whether it's Blue Sky, it's uh, Instacart, Instacart, right? I'm thinking about groceries because it's almost dinner time, Instagram. Uh, You know, LinkedIn, but uh, I also host a podcast. Uh, so it's a podcast on emerging research and educational psychology. So if you want to learn about the latest in the science of learning, you can Google the American Psychological Association Division 15 podcast. I'll pop up. And then I also have a Substack. So I write about learning and new research. The Substack name is Bemusings. Uh, so you can look for me there. Those are all places where I try to spread the good word.
0: Yes, his Substack Bemusings is amazing, and I'm not biased. It is really, really good. Okay, so uh, many insights here. I hope you all took something away from this. What did you take away? And more importantly, what is one small change that you listeners can implement this week based on what you learned from Jeff? Share it with us on LinkedIn at Mira or Jeff Green or at talkradio.nyc so we can cheer you on. Actually, what is your handle for, for LinkedIn? Is it Jeffrey?
1: Uh, you know, I'm not really sure.
2: I don't that.
0: know. Look him up. Um, look me up. That's more important.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> We're yeah. also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Twitch, all over the place. But LinkedIn is where I live online and where I will respond. As a reminder, don't forget to apply to the Tower Scope Leadership Academy. Applications are due September 22nd, you see the QR code if you're watching, or go to www.gotowerscope.com. Join us next Friday, October 6th, with Olivia Nottison, where we'll be talking about the leader's journey, her journey, about how she became a global finance, tech, and strategy leader despite uncertainty. You will not want to miss this show. Thank you, everyone, for listening to talkradio.nyc. The Hard Skills airs live, Fridays, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Fridays. You're
5: listening to Talk Radio NYC. Uplift, educate, empower.
0: Are you a high-achieving growth-oriented leader? Are you interested in developing your authentic leadership while creating a healthy, inclusive workplace? Hi, I'm Dr. Mary Brathu, host of The Hard Skills, on talkradio.nyc at 1 p.m. Eastern on Fridays, where we discuss how leaders develop the hard skills needed to make a greater impact. We interview experts, have live coaching, and tackle these challenges. Listen to the hard skills on Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern on talkradio.nyc.
3: Are you a business owner? Do you want to be a business owner? Do you work with business owners? Hi, I'm Stephen Fry, your small and medium sized business or SMB guy, and I'm the host of the new show, Always Friday.